Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com ACAST. Support for MPB comes from the University of Mississippi School of Education, now offering an online master's degree in teaching. A state license can be earned after the first summer semester with an opportunity to teach grades 7 through 12. Accepting applications now through May. More information at education.olemiss.edu. Good morning, it's 8.30, Tuesday, April 4th, 2017. I'm Kevin Farrell. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, a new law looking for fraud in Mississippi's Medicaid program is expected to be signed by the governor. Then, after everyday tech, the Attorney General's office still doesn't have an approved budget for the next fiscal year. Hear how program cuts could affect crime victims. We'll listen to you uh, and we'll come to a compromise and we want to continue to provide the services that we provide to Mississippi crime victims. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Medicaid fraud is under new scrutiny as a bill awaits the governor's signature. The HOPE Act passed both the Mississippi House and Senate on a party-line vote. The HOPE Act calls for the Division of Medicaid to hire a private firm to verify eligibility for temporary assistance for needy families and supplemental nutrition assistance programs. It's designed to call for Medicaid and human services transparency and to prevent fraud. Jamison Taylor with the Mississippi Center for Public Policy supports the bill. He tells MPB's Desiree Frazier it has worked in helping other states find waste. The HOPE Act does two things. It gives our agencies new tools to catch welfare fraud, but it also restores the Clinton-era welfare-to-work reforms that have been gutted over the past few years. And some of these reforms include, for instance, income and asset tests, uh, which you would use to remove literally millionaires and mansion owners from our welfare roles. It also requires able-bodied adults to work or get job training in order to continue to receive food stamps. So you're saying those eligibility rules haven't been in place? That's right. Over the past several years, the federal government has offered waivers to the welfare-to-work reforms that were passed in the 90s, very, very popular welfare-to-work reforms that were transformative in getting people back to work. Um, Mississippi agencies have accepted those waivers, But what the HOPE Act does is instead require the legislature to have oversight over that process, the legislature as well as the governor. In terms of looking at that, in a state like Mississippi where employment is an issue, poverty is high, is it really feasible to try and enact that here? I think not only is it feasible, but it's uh, it's something that we really need to do. We have the second lowest work participation rate in the country. What we've seen in states that have passed similar reforms is that people are getting back to work as a result of these reforms. We saw, for instance, Kansas did this, and there's one food stamp recipient who had been an able-bodied adult without kids, a food stamp recipient who had been unemployed for eight years. Within six months of them passing 
this reform, that uh, gentleman was back to work earning $50,000 a year in one of the highest unemployment counties in Mississippi. We think that the opportunities are there, and uh, what we want to do is just encourage people to make the best of the opportunities they have and give them a push and encourage them to get back to work. If you find that people aren't able to find jobs or the job that they have really it doesn't earn enough to supply them with food, what do you do then in this, with this legislation? Well, what this legislation is about is uh, one of the first steps is to remove fraudsters from our roles. And so another element of it is to protect the integrity of our current program. So when we're talking about the, the vulnerable and the poorest of the poor in Mississippi, this bill actually protects them. Their eligibility is not touched. Uh, what we're doing, though, is we're going to allow our agencies or we're going to give them tools to let them audit our welfare rolls. And so what these audits are going to find and what other states have found is you're going to find uh, thousands of dead people that are on your programs. And these could be, for instance, um, fraudsters are using Social Security numbers that belong to dead people to get on Mississippi welfare. Uh, or it's just maybe people that have died, but we failed to remove them from the rolls. And so the state is paying out for coverage for these people, Medicaid coverage, for instance, that obviously the people are not using because they are now deceased. Another thing you're going to find that other states that have run these kinds of audits have found is you're going to find a lot of people on, for instance, our food stamp program that do not actually live in Mississippi. And so what we're doing is uh, we're bringing a new level of integrity to our welfare programs to protect them for the poorest of the poor in Mississippi. What about the providers? Will you be looking at them? There are some provisions in the bill to look at provider fraud, uh, and we certainly welcome any kinds of reforms that would address provider fraud. There are critics of this that would say hiring an outside firm is taking money away from the program that could be used to help people who are in need. So the reason that we that the bill um, requires the hiring of an outside firm is because our agencies do not have access to the databases that are out there to verify eligibility. Medicaid fraud in particular is has become a kind of global problem. I mean, you have people that are even in, in other countries that are taking advantage of welfare programs in the United States. And because because fraud is a global problem, we need access to databases that can monitor those types of things. And that's not something that we can, can expect our agencies to do. In fact, it would be extremely expensive for them to do that. That's something that we want to hand off to a vendor who already has all of this data at hand. Do you have a cost-benefit analysis of what the ultimate uh, result would be of paying a company uh, to do uh, what uh, Medicaid is doing, maybe not to the extent that you mentioned, and just not paying a vendor to do something? Yes, we do. We have seen two separate uh, cost analyses of uh, HB 1090. The first is from um, DHS, and they estimate that there would be net savings, which would mean savings after all the costs, net savings to the general fund of between 4 to $5 million a year. Now, at the Mississippi Center for Public Policy, we have uh, done a separate analysis. We believe the savings will be much greater than that. If we look at states that have run these programs, we are seeing a return on their investment of 10 to 1. We think that the savings are going to be uh, 
probably as much as $20 million a year. Again, that's assuming a fraud rate of about 10%. Well, Jameson Taylor, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. I know there's a lot to this. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on. Jameson Taylor is vice president for policy at the Mississippi Center for Public Policy. Critics of the law say it's not necessary to hire a firm. Matt Williams is the director of research for the Mississippi Low Income Child Care Initiative. He tells our Desiree Frazier that screening is already being done by Medicaid and the Department of Human Services. Well, I would first say that I think it's an unnecessary law. I uh, am worried about the impact it's going to have on families and children. Um, I can give you sort of a rundown of what we think the, the law is going to do uh, once in effect. Um, what we're likely to see is the state will end up paying millions to a private company to perform identity verifications for recipients of Medicaid and uh, food assistance or SNAP and TANF or uh, basic cash assistance uh, to do uh, identity verifications that the state is already doing uh, effectively. Um, it Beyond requiring this sort of new enhanced identity verification system, it's going to impose a lot of other really harmful policies. For instance, uh, it's going to impose a really short timeline for a recipient to respond to any communication uh, about any issue that um, a private company would identify uh, with their eligibility and their benefits are at risk of being denied or terminated if they don't provide a written response to that within 10 days, according to the law. And so that short time frame is going to be a real barrier in and of itself. I was speaking with the Mississippi Center for Public Policy, and they said that there are stipulations in the law to keep uh, folks who don't meet that 10-day window from just being summarily taken off the rolls. Well, I think a strict interpretation of the law, as, as it's written, uh, says pretty straightforwardly uh, that recipients uh, or applicants would have 10 days uh, before they are uh, denied assistance. So this 10-day window is just uh, applying to this new enhanced verification system. So let's say the private company that is hired uh, flags an issue, uh, they will ask the department to generate communication or notice. It will go to the recipient. It'll be highly technical and complex information. And the strict interpretation of the bill is that the recipient will have, or the applicant will have um, 10 days to respond in writing. Um, and if they don't respond within that 10 day time frame, um, that is uh, going to result in the denial of assistance or them to be kicked off of assistance. And that I believe applies to all the people who are going to have their identity verified uh, as part of this new system. Now, beyond that requirement, the HOPE Act also includes very harmful changes to the state sanction policies. So uh, it requires actually full household sanctions for noncompliance with any SNAP requirement or any TANF requirement. And what a full household sanction means is that benefits meant for children could also be discontinued for something they call noncompliance, which could be uh, something as simple as a parent or guardian missing a scheduled appointment or failing to meet an administrative deadline. And there are uh, certain protections 
um, for uh, uh, some populations. And the, the bill has very vague language about uh, unless uh, prohibited by federal law. And there are some protections, uh, but the reality is that that new provision will harm uh, children uh, because it very clearly imposes a full household sanction. And it doesn't have any language that talks about a protective payee provision or that talks about a process in which benefits that were meant for children would still get to them. Okay. Well, Matt, we appreciate you speaking with us about this issue. Thank you. Matt Williams with the Mississippi Low Income Child Care Initiative and MPB's Desiree Frazier. Once the bill is signed, some provisions will be effective in July, while others will be phased in over the next two years. Coming up in the wake of state budget cuts, the Attorney General's office hopes funding will allow them to continue supporting crime victims. That's after Everyday Tech. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Informative MPB news stories, the local shows you love, up-to-date severe weather info, and the state and worldwide reach telling the story of Mississippi. You're listening to MPB Think Radio. We are more than halfway to receiving the 300 applications needed to get an MPB car tag. MPB needs less than 130 more people to sign up. We know you can help make this happen. All it takes is a one-year commitment of $31. This is another way you can help MPB continue to educate, inform, and entertain Mississippians. Sign up at mpbonline.org slash cartag. This is Everyday Tech on Mississippi Edition. I'm Sherita Brent, joined today by Jeremy Thompson and Wills Couture. This morning, we're going to be talking about things that are free and tech-related. We'll talk about some free messaging apps, free web browsers, free imaging programs, and things that you can get for free that are legitimate. When you say the word free, sometimes that raises a red flag because people think, oh, if it's free, it might not be legitimate or it has a virus. That word free kind of scares us when it comes to tech. So what are your thoughts on when you see something free, should you do a little research or what? Absolutely. Definitely don't go Googling free software. The words free oh. software are a good good way to get some bad stuff on your computer. Typically, even free software, stuff that you would go download from, say, download.com, is going to come with a uh, attached services or programs. And typically, you can say, I don't want to install this program. But anytime you're installing something free, you want to read through all of the prompts and make sure that you're not installing anything additional to your computer. Ask Toolbar is one of the most notorious that comes bundled in. Hey, you got this program and we think you need this as well. No, you just want what you came for. McAfee, if you're updating Adobe Reader, it'll say, oh, there's a McAfee update. You want to get that too? It'll just be something you have to uncheck on the website. If you're going through Adobe's site, there's always some extra thing attached to Adobe Reader that you have to uncheck. So when you get something free, that does not mean that it's of lesser quality. It could still be a good program or an app that could be beneficial to you. Yes. For example, everybody needs some sort of word processing program on their computer. And most people say, I need Microsoft Office. But what they really need is a word processor. It doesn't have to necessarily be Office. And there are free open source alternatives to Microsoft Office, one of which is OpenOffice. You can go to openoffice.org and download it right now, and you don't owe anyone a cent for it. And it works very well. And not only does it do word processing, but it has the Excel equivalent. So you can do spreadsheets. It can do PowerPoints. It can do publishing. It can do all of those other little things that we seem to need and we always equate to Microsoft Office. But they're not the only game in town. 
So as an entertainer, I do a lot of audio and video editing. Are there any programs out there that are just on a basic level good for entertainers? Well, Audacity is one particularly that's really good for the audio. Now, like working with like photographs, you have programs such as GIMP, G-I-M-P, is kind of your Photoshop equivalent. There are alternatives literally for anything that you want on your computer. A lot of people know what WinZip is, but there's also 7-Zip and there's WinRAR, and both of those programs are absolutely free. And what do those do? They decompress files. So usually when you download a program or something like that that comes with a bunch of files, it will come in a zipped file, and you can use these programs to decompress it so you can access the files inside of it. What about things like online storage? I have a Dropbox account. I have a Google Drive account that I don't pay for. Are those things good for folks who want to store things just on a minimal level? Absolutely. Dropbox or Google Drive would be great for any kind of documents. Go easy on the pictures and stuff like that, but any kind of small files are perfect for those types of services. OneDrive is another one of those free services. It's from Microsoft. Something that I've really been enjoying with OneDrive on my iPhone, for example, is it has a feature and you flip it on and it will allow you to back up your photos onto OneDrive. So it'll actually kind of take that place if you're running out of some space in your iCloud. You don't want to pay that extra money. You can actually use some OneDrive for that. All of those services give you a certain amount of storage. And then if you want to go beyond that, then you have to start paying them for it. Uh, But another big one that we should talk about before we finish up here is virus protection. There are lots of uh, free virus alternatives, although two of mine and Wilt's favorites would be Avast Antivirus. It's a great program. It is totally free. It does try to upgrade you and upsell you on some certain things, but you can always say, no, thank you. I'd like to stay with the free version. And then also Malwarebytes. Malwarebytes is an excellent program. That's B-Y-T-E-S. It has become a full-on virus protection program itself, but it is also free. Uh, Now, there is a pro version of both of those, and it's always highly recommended to support those companies, but you don't have to. And we typically tell our personal users that they don't need to pay for virus protection. You're not getting substandard service either. It's not like by using the free versions of these programs that you're getting sold short. In the case of Malwarebytes, for example, you may not get automatic running. You have to manually run it, but it's still a full-featured program. On your antivirus, like you mentioned, Avast, that is the full-featured, the same, you know, updating and everything else that you would get if you actually paid for the program. Again, you know, paying for some of these free programs, it is kind of nice to support the developers because they are doing it out of the kindness of their hearts. And you're not getting the short end of the stick. All right. Well, we will talk a little bit more about free programs and apps on Everyday Tech, the show, this coming Wednesday morning at 10. For Wills Couture and Jeremy Thompson, I'm Sharia Brent. This is Everyday Tech on Mississippi Edition. Thanks for listening. You have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. Hi, I'm Sharita Brent. On In Legal Terms, the focus is always you and your rights. From Miranda rights to civil rights, our legal experts will inform you of your right to do or not to do according to the law. Join us Tuesday mornings at 10 for In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Kevin Farrell. Governor Phil Bryant must call a special session in the next few months for lawmakers to pass a budget for the Mississippi Attorney General's office. During the legislative session, some lawmakers failed in attempts to restrict the powers of Hood's office. Hopefully, you know, cooler heads will prevail and, and hopefully the governor would just call it strictly on our appropriations bill and not go into any substantive aspects of this office. We've asked that that happen. 
As the office awaits a final budget, staff hope to continue their programming. During this National Crime Victims' Rights Week, Hood's staff is honoring Mississippi crime victims and advocates. The state's program has paid out $3.7 million to crime victims and their survivors and another $138,000 to hospitals and other health care providers for sexual assault forensic exams. Amy Walker is the director of the state's Crime Victims' Compensation Division. Walker tells MPB's Mark Rigsby the office needs to keep its funding to continue their work for victims. It gives us an opportunity in Mississippi to have an awareness event that coincides with the national event to honor our Mississippi advocates and volunteers who work tirelessly all year to help support crime victims and their families. And how deep does this run? How how much of an impact does this have on not only the victims, but a lot of people were talking about how it impacts children as well. Absolutely. It certainly is a ripple effect. Um, When parents are involved, children are certainly impacted. And when children are the victims, the parents are. So uh, it definitely can be a vicious cycle. And these advocates step in and these volunteers step in to break that cycle and help to bring positive outcomes for these victims and their families. It sounds like a passion for a lot of them. They really want to help people. Absolutely. Um, You don't make a whole lot of money doing this work, so you've got to absolutely be committed to it. Um, It's not fun, but it's exceptionally rewarding, and I think everybody that was honored here today would definitely describe this as a calling. Now, you work in the Attorney General's office? Correct. Tell us about the program under your leadership, what does it do for people? We help victims with their financial expenses in the aftermath of a violent crime. So uh, whatever expenses they have that are directly related to their victimization, we try to help them so that in addition to being physically uh, victimized and emotionally scarred from what's happened, that we try to make sure that they're not financially impacted as well. How much financial assistance do victims get? Uh, It depends on year uh, to year based on the amount of requests that come into our office. This past year, we paid out about 3.7 directly to victims and their uh, survivors, but we paid an additional 138,000 through our sexual assault payment uh, policy program, and that helps to pay um, hospitals and other health care facilities for doing the sexual assault forensic examinations. And so that was in addition to the 3.7 that we paid out. How will your program be impacted by state budget cuts? Well, I think all of the Attorney General's office, all of the divisions are going to be impacted depending on what the final outcome is. Um, But our staff is committed and we're going to work until they tell us to turn the lights off. Is that a possibility of turning the lights off and not having this? I don't think that that's going to happen. I can't imagine that it would. Uh, But I do know that right now everything is still up in the air because we don't have a budget. What would you like to say to lawmakers that will that are expected to meet in a special session to decide the AG budget? Uh, Just listen to us. Come talk to us and we'll listen to you uh, and we'll come to a compromise. And we want to continue to provide the services that we provide to Mississippi crime victims. The Attorney General's office does an enormous amount of good, uh, but we can't do that without expending some money and some resources. And so we have to have the money to be able to continue to provide those services. What would happen if this program did not exist? If this program did not exist, first of all, it would be really sad for the state of Mississippi because we'd be the only state in the nation that didn't have a crime victim compensation program. Um, But obviously it would impact um, hospitals, it would impact funeral homes, it would impact the victims, and it would impact um, the survivors of homicide. It would impact children because we help pay for dependents who've had losses because their um, primary caregiver has been murdered. Uh, And we're good stewards of this money, and the whole premise of our program 
program is to help innocent victims. And so we work closely with law enforcement to make sure that these individuals that were victimized were innocent, that they weren't doing anything illegal at the time that they were injured, that they weren't doing anything uh, to conduct themselves in a way that would have brought on the injury or the death. And so we are really good stewards of this money. And, and the legislators know that we do a good job. Thank you very much for being on the program today. We do appreciate your time. Thank you. I appreciate being here. Thank you for the opportunity. Amy Walker, director of the Crime Victims Compensation Division in the Attorney General's Office with MPB's Mark Rigsby. Attorney General Jim Hood says this is the first time in 13 years his office has been singled out by not having its budget approved by the state legislature. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9, join me for Money Talks. Then at 10, it's In Legal Terms. And at 11, stay tuned for Southern Remedy. Did you miss part of the show today? You can find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online at mpbonline.org or by downloading the MPB Public Media app from the Apple or Google Play stores. I'm Kevin Farrell. Join us again tomorrow morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi edition. It's heard only on MPB Think Radio. Support for MPB comes from the University of Mississippi School of Education, now offering an online master's degree in teaching. A state license can be earned after the first summer semester with an opportunity to teach.